Hi, this is Jason. Welcome to this podcast of our midweek adult Bible study led by Pastor Pat Dale. Okay, tonight I want to look at something different. We've been going through five weeks of the last thing that we went through. Five weeks. So today we start something new. Um, We may wrap it up tonight. We'll see how interesting you think it is. We'll see how much talking you want to do about it. I want to to look into a subject that I hate teaching, a subject that I hate thinking about, a subject I told Gina tonight uh, before we started. I said, tonight I'm going to be preaching to myself. So uh, I've not yet arrived on this topic, but God has shown me some things that I want to share with you. Because um, he's showing me quite a few. And, and I'm going to look at six passages tonight, if, if time permits us to, on a topic called the waiting. To me, wait is a four-letter word. Uh, <laughs> it's something that I, I, I've, I've improved on a lot, but I, I can't say that I've got it whipped all the way. Um, those of you who have uh, used to be into rock and roll... Uh, I got a song I want to, just a snippet of a song I want to play for you, uh, and I'll see if you recognize it. that song that's Tom Petty called the waiting is the hardest part let me give you the course uh, on that the waiting is the hardest part every day you see one more card you take it on in faith you take it to your heart but the waiting is the hardest part that's a secular song and he's talking about he's hooked up with this girl and he's having the, they're having a great relationship and it's going great but he doesn't know how long it'll last and waiting to see is what that song's about right now our relationship's awesome we're we get butterflies every time we see each other it's great we're on cloud nine but we'll see how this thing unfolds and and i know you might say why are you bringing a secular song because every time i think about the waiting i think of that song i'm a kid from the 80s so um tom petty and me go back uh the waiting is the hardest part. Um, is anyone here holding on to a promise that you've received? Man, and, I, and you know, it doesn't have to be some evangelist that gives you a word. There's a whole lot of it in, in the binders of your Bible. There's a whole lot of promises. And I think it's safe to assume that everyone in this house is still waiting on some stuff. And I want to look at that. And um, we'll start in 1 Samuel chapter 1. And 1 Samuel chapter 1, I have it on your papers there. Um, the reason I left it open-ended, I thought, I'll take this one. And, and I'm going to condense it because there's about 20 verses I'd like to read to you. But for the sake of time, I'm going to condense it. But feel free to, to understand we're talking about verses 1 through verse 20. Let me just give you the Pat Dale recap of that passage there there's a there's a man uh named elkanah he has two wives panana and hannah now the one the one wife panana um she had children with him um in fact she rubbed it in hannah's face because she had children and she often provoked and made fun of hannah because she couldn't give him any children and she says well what kind of a wife are you so there was a i don't know why in the world you'd want two wives but he did have two wives and uh, and this one is giving him babies which is a big thing back in the day especially and the other one hannah cannot uh it's not because they haven't tried so but to go as far as to say What's up, girl? Why aren't you giving him babies? I'm, I'm, I'm pumping out babies left and right. We don't know the amount of babies she had. But we do know this is the story of Hannah. 
And Hannah had to wait through years of infertility. Um, And then one day, while crying in the temple with a broken heart, she cries out to God for a baby. And she happens upon a priest by the name of Eli. And Eli mistakes her for being a drunk. And he goes over and says, Hey, lady, listen, you're in the temple yard. Don't be coming in here with your buzz on. Just quit drinking and, and straighten up. She's like, No, no, no. I'm not drunk. I'm pouring my soul out because my heart's broken because I want so bad to be with child. And Eli tells her, uh, Go in peace. I'm going to pray for you and just believe that God is um, going to grant you a child. And sometime later, Hannah gives birth to Samuel. And Samuel helped change a nation. Samuel's the one that anointed Saul and David as king. Samuel was a key player in the history of Israel. He was the separator between the judges and the kings. You all know uh, in the Old Testament there's... We went from judges and then finally they got into the kings. And and Samuel was the guy that kind of God used. He's a great prophet. So he was worth the wait. And the thing about waiting, when we look at Penana and Hannah, there's nothing worse than waiting. The thing that exasperates your waiting the most is when you start comparison. And, And I'm... Very good at this. Have you ever noticed when you're waiting on something to happen, you've been praying, maybe fasting, maybe claiming, maybe you have a daily confession, and um, you start comparing yourself with other people, you're going to go down a bad road. I I know this because I've done it many times. Um, You ever notice that when you're broke, your neighbor, the heathen, gets another toy? You ever notice that when someone in your family is sick, the heathen that don't want nothing to do with God uh, smokes 40 packs a day and gets drunk on weekends, healthy as a horse? I'm like, what's up? And when I start comparing notes with something uh, that's being blessed, and I'm still waiting on mine. I'm still waiting on my health breakthrough or my financial breakthrough. When I look at someone else, it exasperates my waiting. It 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 actually ticks me off really bad, and I'm like, where are you at, God? Um, that's, a, that's a quick little passage that we find in First Samuel 1. So Hannah wants a baby, and they tried, they tried, no babies. She finally gets one. Um, be careful, guys. Uh, we all like our toys. I would like to have a, a great big carport full of toys myself. Um, ladies, I, I don't know, whatever your thing is. Um, maybe a closet full of nice clothes and shoes and jewelry. I don't, I don't know. Um, but it's amazing what we allow to get us frustrated. Um, I know, I think we're all guilty of it. I only wish I could have this, because this, this jerk over here, he's got all these things. And here, I'm trying to live right. I'm, I'm giving to the church. I'm, I'm doing what's right. I'm going out of my way to help people. And, and this, blockhead next to me that, that the only time he says God is in vain he's rolling high man and we got to be careful when we get into comparison because without comparison do you know it is impossible to produce jealousy there's no such thing as jealousy without comparison well I digress because there's a whole lesson right there I just wanted to do a drive by on Hannah and the fact that she had to wait and the fact that she lived in the same house with someone that was blessed while she was barren the waiting is the hardest part. Um, if you um, if you look at First Samuel, and this is a, a a lot to read, so I'm going to let you read that on your own time. Chapter 16 to chapter 31. I I read through that again today. Really cool chapter. Uh, several chapters there that talk about the life of David. Now. We've got to understand, we obviously don't have time to read all those chapters tonight. So I'm, I'm doing some uh, condensing here. But First Samuel chapter 16, all the way through chapter 31, talks about everyone knows David. Now David was anointed to be king when he was a teenage boy. Do you remember when Jesse brought all the boys up and says, uh, 
look at this guy, look at this guy, this guy's buff, this guy's built, this guy's strapping young lad, and he gets through all of his sons, and where, don't you have anyone else? Oh yeah, I got this, I got this young and out there tending sheep. So he brings David in, call him a Rudy face, young little man, um, probably not the most handsome kid, and uh, he was anointed king. But what's cool about chapter 16 to 31, you're going to see this journey from the promise of David being the king of Israel to the reality of being the king of Israel. It's a mess. It's a mess. Um, I wouldn't want to live what David had to live through. Um, So we can start all the way from his anointing and then... He takes out Goliath, right? He's this hero. Everybody loves him, right? Well, this hero that killed the big Philistine goes on the run. And he goes on the run. And he goes on the run. And uh, Saul changes his mind about loving and hating him several times. And and uh, he has a chance to kill Saul a few times. It's a great reading. The bottom line is they believe that from the time... David was anointed to the time he became king was about 10 to 15 years. Some scholars say up to 17 years. So on Hannah, we don't know how many times she tried to get pregnant, but we know it was years. We know it was years for Hannah. For David, he had to wait 10, we're going we're gonna to be conservative and say 10 to 15 years that he had to wait for what was promised to him. Now, I don't know about you, but when when you're prayed over and you're sent forth into ministry, and all the declarations are made, and you've been you have a covering, a spiritual father, and you've been launched into ministry, at that point you're ready to save the world for Jesus Christ. And I think, man, wouldn't it be cool for someone to say, uh, "I anoint you to be president of the United States." By the way, you're probably 14, 15 years old. Um, you expect to wait maybe a little while, but by the time you're 30, you're probably pretty burnt out on hearing about your promise. Because that's how long it took for, before David became king. I'm a teenager, you anoint me, and I've been on the run, essentially, for almost 15 years. Hiding from this man that I respect, this man that I won't lay a hand on. 10 to 15 years. I don't know how long you've been waiting on what you've been waiting for. I don't know what promise you have. I don't know what verse you claim. But I want us to look at the waiting that happens in the Bible. And the reason I want to offset this is because the faith teaching, especially in the 80s, came out and started talking about the name it and the claim it, and the blab it and the grab it. And all you got to do is speak to every mountain and it'll go. Ask anything in my name and it'll be done. And, and while a lot of these had biblical foundations, we got way scooed off with them. And, and we got way stupid. And somehow, these faith teachers started preaching about income more than they started preaching about spiritual blessings. And there's place for that. But they got really in left field. And, and as great as that is, because it opened our eyes to say, hey, we can be blessed. Hey, we can name things and believe things and things will come to pass. The bad thing is, we were claiming selfish things. We were claiming comfort things. We were claiming things. And what happened when God said, Hey, big boy, you can't handle that business right now. You ain't man enough to handle that blessing. We got mad at God because of all this imbalanced teaching. So what happened is, while the faith message opened our eyes to things, it did a lot of damage to people that are lying in there waiting, saying, but the preacher on TV told me all I have to do is send him my $58 seed and Mama would be debt free. Well, Mama's in worse debt now than she was. So the faith message is honorable as long as it's teached in balance. And the reason I want to talk about the waiting is if if you've acted in faith and you don't have your stuff yet, I want to tell you you're not alone. And that's why I wanted to look at these Bible verses. Now I think uh, we're getting into smaller sections that we can actually read aloud. So Hannah, years waiting to have a baby. Uh, King David, 10 to 15 years. Um, let's go over to Luke chapter 8. In verse 43. 
Luke chapter 8 and verse 43. Uh, do I have anybody that wants to read that? Not all at once now. Alright. Uh, I'm sorry. I saw, I saw Ken first. Ken, I'll let you read that one. Uh, let's, let's read. Let me tell you. Did I tell you where to stop on your papers there? Um, the 48? Yeah, let's read. Luke 8, 43 through 48. Five verses. And a, <clears throat> and a woman having an issue of blood twelve years, which had spent all her living upon physicians, neither could be healed of any, came behind him and touched the border of his garment, and immediately her issue of blood danced. And Jesus said, Who touched me? When all denied, Peter and they that were with him said, Master, the multitude throng thee and press thee, and sayest thou, Who touched me? And Jesus said, Somebody hath touched me, for I perceive that virtue is gone out of me. And when the woman saw that she was not hid, she came trembling, falling down before him, and she declared unto him all before the people what, uh, for what cause she had touched him and how she was healed immediately. And he said unto her, Daughter, be of good comfort. Thy faith has made thee whole. Go in peace. Okay. Most of you have, were probably with us when we went over the miracles of Jesus. So, But for those of you who are not, we're going to look at this passage once again. Now, here's a lady who's bleeding she's hemorrhaging you can't be healthy and stay that way on a continual basis so this is a sick lady we also know that this is a lady of means this ain't some poor chick from the backside of the tracks this is a lady that's had some money and the reason we know that the bible records that she's paid a lot of money to a lot of doctors so we're looking at a lady that's 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 well off in her in her time um, there's several things wrong with this lady getting her healing. And this is why the disciples are kind of shocked. The first reason is, Jesus, who are you talking about, man? We're around hundreds of people. Hey, everybody's brushing shoulders here. How can you say that? Jesus says, I know virtue has gone out of me. Bigger than that, though, the reason this is an unlikely miracle is this is a woman that is hemorrhaging. She is considered unclean. In that time, you weren't supposed to be in public, much less touch a priest. Because then you'd have to have a cleansing ritual. So, by the fact that she's out in the multitude, she's wrong. In their culture, you ain't supposed to do that. You're supposed to get away from everybody. You, you are unclean. You are unsanitary. You're not supposed to be anywhere around. She has the audacity to press through this group. And we talk about her tenacity, and it's, and it's great, and it's not to be overlooked. But the fact is, she's an unclean person in their culture. So when the Bible records that she's pressing through, and when, the, when Jesus turns and she begins to tremble in fear, there's a lot of reasons that she's trembling in fear. It's not that she's afraid to talk to Jesus. It's afraid that they have the right to kill her on the spot because she's unclean and touching a holy thing. There's a lot of things going on, and, and we've discussed all this before. But she says, for, for 12 years, I've been going to doctors. I've been getting the test run. I've, I've been looking. I've been trying. I've been paying out the nose. I, I've, I've, I've done everything I know to do. So for 12 years, she waited for her cure. So I'm going to write 12 on there. 12 years. And some of us, hey, if you got a bad sinus infection, it stinks. And we pray. And the next day we still have a sinus infection. And uh, I'm not minimizing that, guys, because I know it stinks. I've had one. But here's a lady that bled for 12 years. Do you know that when you bleed for 12 years, that means you've been an outcast for 12 years? Do you know that when you pay a doctor for 12 years, that means you're pretty much broke for 12 years? It's not a matter of just an uncomfortable thing. Um, I'm sure we can get a medical doctor in here and tell you about all the things that, the deficiencies that happen when you're hemorrhaging constantly for 12 years. I, 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 can't, even, I can't even wrap my head around that. But there's a lot that's happening here. So this... This woman said, I've done everything medically I know to do. I've spent all my money. 
I've looked up the best doctors. So for 12 years, she was waiting for her miracle. And I keep saying this, I don't know how long you've been waiting. I've been waiting a long time, and I'm tired of waiting. And I let God know that. God, don't you know what's happening down here? That's why I say when I started teaching tonight, I'm teaching to Pat Dale. Um, I take comfort that people have to walk through some junk. I I, I take comfort that um, even though it was ordained by God for David to be king of Israel, that God didn't bring his magic wand out and throw him onto the throne at the age of 14 or 15. He said, no, you've got some growing up to do. You've got some things I want to cultivate in you. You've got some things you're going to have to go through. And I'm telling you, you're, you're going to have to go through some junk. Because the greater your calling, the greater your testing. The greater your calling, the greater your testing will be. So, because of that, I'm pretty sure I've got good things ahead of me. Now, if you're... I'm serious. I've told you guys this before. If you have a nice little life, I'll not ask you to pray for me. I hope you do. Remember me. Throw me up in a prayer. Can't hurt nothing. But honestly, I need somebody that's been through hell and back to pray for me. Um, I don't want a nice little picket fence, never been touched by anything bad. Christian, to me, is not going to really move me. You're not going to be able to minister to me on the level where I'm hurting. So... Don't underestimate some of the junk you go through because the waiting, a lot of things happened. Um, He says to her, go, your faith has made you whole. Right then and there. Do you remember when he found the woman caught in the act of adultery? He could have pulled the trigger right there and said, boys, let her have it. But no, Jesus has a different approach. The woman that's caught in adultery was supposed to be killed on the spot. Could be. Probably should have been, according to culture and law of Moses. He says, no, we're going to handle this different. When they realized, when the report came in and says, this woman was healed from an issue of blood, right then and there, we're glad for your healing, now we're going to kill you. Because you broke so many laws, culturally, and, and law laws. Uh, I'm glad you're healed, but you're out of line. So there was a lot of risk that she took to get her healing. Twelve years, though. This is the thing, guys. When you're fed up enough, when you're tired enough, when you've done everything that you know to do, you're going to go finally and find a source, wherever that is. Let's go over to John chapter 9. John chapter 9. And uh, I'll let someone else read that. We'll go verses 1 to 7. John chapter 9, verses 1 to 7. Anybody want to read that? Pam, you want to read that? All right. Now as Jesus passed by, He saw a man who was blind from birth. And His disciples asked Him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had said these things, he spat on the ground and made clay with the saliva and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay and he said to him go wash in the pool of Siloam which is translated sent so he went and washed and came back saying therefore the neighbors and those who previously had seen that he was blind said is this not he who sat and begged you guys remember this story from the miracles of Jesus that we talked about There's a lot of things, and I just want to recap. There's a lot of reasons this guy should not have received his miracle either. He was born blind. This is a first. This man has never seen anything. 
forgive me if you've heard this before, but this was a new miracle. This has never been done. Because when a baby was born with a physical handicap, the assumption was in those days the parents were sinners. And they were just reaping what they sowed. It was an understanding. Um, it, It actually... Who asked the question about who sinned? Who asked the question? Was it some heathen that just likes to stir up trouble? Who asked the question, who sinned? You see that? The disciples. Jesus' homeboys are asking the question, who sinned? His mom, the dad, and then they had the audacity to ask, or, or the baby. They remember we talked about that before. They actually believed that you could sin in vitro. <laughs> crazy, crazy, but that's what they thought. Um, and Jesus answered, "Neither this man or his parents sinned." Now, by the terminology they're using here, man, we can only understand that, that this man, we don't know his age. We know he's blind from birth, but we know that when you start using the word man in that culture, it means 20 years and older. So this wasn't a, a child, or otherwise they would have used uh, a term using that. So we know that he's over 20. We don't know how old he is, but he's blind from birth. So... Um, Jesus spat on the ground and made clay with the saliva and he anointed uh, this man's eyes. There's another cool thing about here. Do you notice that this man did not cry out to Jesus like blind Bartimaeus? Sorry, I'm a detail guy. Kind of keeps me cool. Look at the very second part of verse 9. Now as Jesus passed by, he saw... A man. It's important to understand that in this, Jesus saw him first. He didn't yell out. He didn't cry, Oh, Son of God. Oh, Son of David. Help me. I messed up. Jesus saw him and moved in compassion towards him. So, this guy was in great need. All the townspeople knew. We see him led around all the time. Just like you guys might know some bag ladies or, or some beggars that hold up the will work for food sign. You know who they are. They've been in town for a while. You know that's how they get by. Just or unjustly. Not going into that. But they knew him. Oh, we remember him being born blind. So we just assumed all these years that his mom and dad were shady. Or he was shady. So when Jesus... <coughs> In their mind, he, here's another unclean person that he healed. Wait a minute. Do you know who he sits at dinner with? <laughs> he forgave someone caught in the act of adultery. He healed someone that's never supposed to be around people. And now he's healing this person who obviously got this way because of sin in their life. Jesus is messing their theology all kinds of ways, right? So we don't know how long this young man waited because it doesn't record his age. He tells him to go to the, the pool of silence. I'm, I'm reading here, so forgive me. Um, but we know that it's over 20. Over 20 years he waited. So we're talking about the waiting. I don't know how long you've waited. But this man born blind was 20 plus years waiting on his opportunity. There's a, a, a place in the Bible where they ask him, why, why did this happen this long? And Jesus says, for a time such as this. You see, God has windows. And His windows are not our windows. He has a time and a season for everything that happens to you. He's not surprised. He's not taken back. He doesn't say, oh my gosh. I know they're praying for this. He knows full well. He's all-knowing. And when you begin to wrap your head around an all-knowing God, it doesn't really comfort you because it doesn't change your circumstance. You're like, wait a minute. What about a sympathetic God instead of an all-knowing God sometimes? You know, how, how about you bail me out here, man? Like they did the banks. They got messed up. Just bail them out. Just bail me out. Most of the times we're praying for bailouts. But for 20-plus years, this kid was blind. 
It was the first time that ever happened. Um, some suggest that the reason he used clay was because there was possibly no eyeballs in there. You know, how did God make man? Out of the dust of the earth. It's a, it's a legitimate exploration for you there. I'm not going to build theology out of it, but... And we've touched on a lot of these before. I find myself, because we're, we cover a lot of broad spectrums that we cover in quite depth, that sometimes they come back around and, and you'll be all right with that. I'm sure of it. Uh, <laughs> let's, let's define weight while we're here. What does it mean to wait? The, the dictionary says, to stay in place of expectation. It says, to remain stationary in readiness. So... Waiting is a place of expectancy. Man, and sometimes you get sick of waiting. The first time you prayed, you were really expecting it to happen. The hundredth time, you were still expecting it to happen. You're on your second decade of praying for the same stinking thing, and now it's like, maybe, maybe someday, when all the planets line up and the wind's blowing out of the west, God will give this to me. Who knows? And after a while, you start... You stop putting your heart into it because your heart's getting sick. And uh, I have to wonder how many times these parents prayed for this baby because they probably looked at each other, and as soon as the doctor says something's not right with this boy's eyes, they probably looked at each other across the dinner table and said, do you have any secret sins that you haven't told me about? Because you know handicapped children comes from sin and parents, right? That's, that was the understanding. There's actually, it's not completely off the, off the mark. Do you remember one time when Jesus healed someone and said, go and sin no more that that won't come back up on you? So there's some legitimacy in some of that thought process. For Jesus to even suggest that this possibly came upon you because you're reaping what you sow. So the disciples asking this question was not as crazy as we first think it may sound. It was an understanding, um, although very narrow-minded standing. Now let's flip over to Genesis chapter 13. Any thoughts on this so far? I want to get into a little more as we go here. Genesis, what did I tell you? Genesis chapter 13. Does anyone want to, read, want to read three verses here? Genesis 13, verse 14, 15, and 16. This is a Bible study tonight, so the Bible's help. Those of you who don't have one, there's some in the back. Everybody's got them on their phones now, I know, and iPads and stuff. But Genesis 13, verse 14, who wants to read it? All right. Go ahead, Tammy. And the Lord said unto Abram, After that, Lot was separated from him. Lift up now thine eyes, and look from the place where thou art northward, and southward, and eastward, and westward. For all the land which thou seest, to thee will I give it, and to thy seed forever. And I will make thy seed as the dust of the earth, so that if a man can number the dust of the earth, then shall thy seed also be numbered. Okay. This promise is given to Abraham. He's 75 years young. He's a senior citizen. Talking about you're going to have as many kids as the seeds of the... as the sand. And he's like, wait a minute, I ain't got no babies at all. You're talking about beaches of kids. 75 years old. So, how many of you had planned pregnancies? Y'all just planned it out and said... Okay, we're going to start trying now. Yes? Yeah. I know Gina did. We called Gina Fertile Myrtle. When we decided to have babies, it was go time. It was like, we're going to get this done in four weeks. So that's how, that's how, our, that's how it happened at our house. I was afraid to look at her after, after a while. <laughs> so uh, can you imagine being told that, guys, when you're 75 Seventy-five. You should be doing good, rolling up on your Social Security, rolling in a Cadillac with golf clubs in the back, right? He says you're going to be a daddy. Now, so fast forward 11 years. By the way, 11 years is 132 months 
when, Abraham, when Abram goes to Sarai and says, Are you pregnant this month? A hundred and thirty-two times. What about this month? What about this month? A hundred and thirty-two no's. No's. No. I know you got a promise. I, I, I know you know. But a hundred and thirty-two. hundred and thirty-two no's. Now, I don't know about you, but after a hundred, I'd be pretty toast. A <laughs> hundred months. A hundred and thirty-two months we've been trying this. The old-fashioned way to make a baby. Ain't nothing happening. So, Sarah and Abraham get this brilliant idea. God needs a little help. God's getting up in years. It's been 11 years we've been doing this thing. I don't want to picture that, but for 11 years we've been doing this thing and nothing's happening. So fast forward 11 years and flip over to Genesis chapter 16. And I'll let Tammy read that as well. Genesis chapter 16. One through four. And we'll go one through four. All right. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, bare him no children, and she had a handmaid, an Egyptian whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said unto Abram, Behold now, the Lord hath restrained me from bearing. I pray thee, go in unto my maid. It may be that I may obtain children by her. And Abram hearkened to the voice of Sarai. And Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, after Abram had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan, and gave her to her husband Abram to be his wife. And he went unto Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her eyes. So, Sarah, I says, Hey, uh, I got this uh, servant. Pretty sure she's fertile. Why don't you hook up with her? And, and you guys can make this baby. We've been trying for 132 months. Ain't nothing happening. So let's make something happen. God needs some help. And they take matters into their own hands. And he creates Ishmael. There's been so much teaching on this that I'm assuming you know that Ishmael turned out to be a very bad thing. That's the super condensed version. Um, Ishmael begins to grow up. Just just to let you know, Ishmael's 14 years old. He's in junior high these days. Abraham has this son, but it wasn't the son that was promised. God made him wait an additional 14 years before Isaac comes along. Um, A grand total of I don't know how many months. So that would be, uh, what, 15 years times 12 months is, is how many months? 180 months. From the time God promises it to the time Isaac is born. Man, that's nuts, right? From 75 to 100. It's 25 years. The waiting was the hardest part. Um, These guys actually got a kick of thinking about, man, you're talking about senior citizens making babies. And they both kind of chuckled at the idea. Right when it was first brought to them, um, I, I'm I'm blown away. But now, because they created something in the flesh, they have to maintain something in the flesh. You ever done that? You ever got all sideways and got stupid and said, "God, you ain't in the picture. I'm gonna man up and take care of this myself." And you make a stupid decision. And you live with it for years and years and years. And you you bang your head against the wall and say, Why in the heck did I ever... If I could have just waited. But the waiting is the hardest part. That space between your promise and your manifestation. That in a lot of, that's where a lot of us are living. 
And I can tell you this, the bigger your promise, the more frustrating the waiting. If God tells you, uh, I want to give you a quarter raise, it doesn't happen. Uh, I would have liked to have had that quarter. But if you've been prophesied that you're going to be debt free, it's a little harder to wait for. The bigger the promise, the harder the waiting. But I also know that that process is going to be longer for you. Because there's tempering that happens every step of the way. And I, and I wish that I had a, a, a cool formula to tell you how to get to your promise quicker. But Abram and Sarai, and Abraham and Sarah didn't know. King, little King David. You see, here's the thing. This is 14-year-old, I'm going to assume, let's just say 14-year-old David. He's walking around hiding in caves. He's the king, but he hasn't sat on the throne yet. Sarah's been walking around barren for 25 years, but on the inside of her is Isaac. Hannah's walking around barren for years and years and years, but on the inside of her is Samuel. I don't know what you're putting your mouth on and claiming, but it's on the inside of you. You can't produce something. It has to come from out of you. A promise will always be internalized. Not mental, not just mentally. I'm I'm not talking about some suit that sweat on you and gave you a line of stuff so you can get a bigger offering. Watch those guys. But something that is confirmed in your spirit. Something God dealt with you and you know that you know that you know. And be careful that you don't create fantasy promises. <coughs> James says some of the things you don't get because you ask amiss and you ask for your, to lo- put it upon your own lust. Be careful that your promises is actually not just greed. We get those confused in the charismatic American church. Be sure that your quote-unquote promise is not greed. Because everybody would like to make it the easy street. And I've challenged myself that before. But I digress. We've got to go on to the next one. John chapter 5 and verse 5. And we'll read it through verse 8. John 5, 5. I got any takers on this. John 5, 5. Should be easy. All right, Marcia. Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he already had been in that condition a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be made well? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, but while I am coming, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Rise, take up your bed and walk. Okay, there's more to it, but this is what I wanted to see. I wanted to see that, verse 5, he had an infirmity. He had a physical ailment for 38 years. Now, this is that passage I was talking about. 38 years in the waiting. First, Jesus asked him, what do you want to happen here? What, what, what's your, what's your, what do you want to happen here? Are you comfortable in your victim card? Or do you want to be healed? I remember hearing of a healing line one time when... I can't remember its source totally, but... This evangelist was in a big way, moving in the gifts of the Spirit and touching people, and people were getting healed. And he came to this one man and he said, What is it you want? He said, Well, I'm up here for healing. He says, are you sure you want your healing? He said, yes, as long as it doesn't mess with my disability. So, it's a valid question Jesus is asking. I know that's ridiculous, right? Um, (laughs) There are things in your life that are a setup. Have you ever just been about ready to give up on something and then it starts clicking? I think there's a lot to that. I think that the time you get your hands out of it, God can start doing stuff. 
It's what we begin to call the hands-off approach. Get your hands off of it. Believe it. Move on. Quit trying to explain why you don't have it yet. Boy, we have to have an explanation for everything. Well, I thought you were supposed to be healed. Well, now, let me explain this to you. No, you don't have to explain nothing. I thought you were supposed to be debt-free by now. You broke somebody. Well, let me give you my five points that I heard this preacher talk about. No, the reality is you've not walked into it yet. You've not walked into your promise. You're waiting. And the waiting is the hardest part. We keep waiting for God, but sometimes God's waiting for us. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31. You guys know this very, very well. But they that wait upon the Lord, He shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They'll run and not be weary. They'll walk and they'll not faint. The word wait there means to look for, to expect, to even bind together and to hope. You wait upon the Lord. You tie yourself to Him. You don't give up on that promise. Even when you're sick of it and the very thought of it makes you nauseous because you're tired of hearing about your promise. I'm sick of hearing about it, Pastor. Quit telling me what's going to happen. Quit telling me to hang on. I want to see it. Because right now I'm in the waiting. And, and I can imagine this man for 38 years. Do you remember the man with the demon-possessed child? Jesus just comes from working hard. And, and this man comes to Jesus and says, Look, your disciples couldn't manage this demon. Even your disciples couldn't handle it. Jesus, I'm asking you. And Jesus asked him, where's your faith? He says, Lord, help my little faith. There were, there were things that Jesus did that his disciples even failed at. And I don't know about having a better pedigree than to be a disciple that had been under the tutelage of the Son of God, God incarnate for three years, and you're still not walking in His power. Well, guess what? How long have you been saved? You've been under the tutelage of the Holy Spirit as long as you've been saved. He's been teaching. He's been guiding. The question is, has He been leading? See, we can look at these disciples and say, man, you were in master school for three years. How long have you been saved? Do you know that Jesus was full of the Holy Ghost? Do you know that you are full? I think I'm safe in assuming that. And yet, it's theoretic. It's mystical. He's in there. But He's not really doing anything. That's not how my God lives. The problem is, is we have this free will that we can shut Him down, keep Him in our little cage if we want. We can minimize Him to make Him as small as we want Him. And that's what church has become very good at. But we got to be careful to say these disciples couldn't even cast out that demon. I don't know how long you've been saved and how long you've been playing with this idea of Jesus. But he said, as I am, so shall you be on this earth. He says that we can begin to think like him, that we can have the mind of Christ. We can have his power. No, that's for people that wear suits and travel the world. No, it's not. It's for the body. It's for the body of Christ. It's for people that sit in these rows right here. Don't think that these gifts are just for preachers. Um, Waiting is a place of trusting. Waiting is a place of expectancy. Here's the thing. If I'm the enemy, if I'm the devil, if I'm life, if I'm everything that wears you out, if I can steal your hope, I can steal your waiting. Because hope is a futuristic power. There's no such thing as hope without future. Hope is one of those rare things. We, we serve a now God with now faith. But hope is one of those futuristic things. Hope says, I don't have it today, but it is coming nonetheless. So, if I can steal your hope, I can steal your faith. If I can steal your hope, you'll stop the waiting process. You'll quit looking for it. You'll quit looking, you'll give up, and you'll walk away. 
on things that have been called and ordered of God for you to have. And I'm talking to Pat Dale right now. Um, there's a place when you're like, is this all bogus? Now, look, I know he saves me. I know he's my savior. But all this other stuff. Was that just emotionalism? Is that just preachers pumping you up? Is is are these just concepts that Jesus lived, or is this really something for the average bear? I you start questioning that stuff, and what happens is your hope starts depreciating because it gets harder and harder to see it because the waiting starts hurting, and your heart grows sick. The Bible says your heart can grow sick. My heart's been sick for quite a while on certain topics in my life. God has given me breakthroughs on certain things and other things. It's like, you forgot you said that, God. I know. And and the reason I wanted to kind of look at these six passages tonight is because I wonder how many days they woke up and said, will this issue of blood stop bleeding today? Is it possible that I'll wake up tomorrow and see Mom? Mom, is it possible that by the time I get to go to school that I can see? How many conversations was had? How many prayers went up before God said, there's a time I've set aside, this time, for my glory. I'm going to blow this up. Not just for your benefit, but for my glory. All we know is what we want. But God says there's going to be a time when my glory and your desire are going to meet, and that window is when it's going to happen. So, we keep drawing windows for God, and God says, it's right here. Keep hoping. Don't give up. Keep hoping. And I know it's it, 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 it does make you sad sometimes to continue to hope, and you don't see a thing. 180 months... Are you pregnant this month? 180 no's. Finally, 181. Guess what, Abraham? Remember 25 years ago when God told you something? It's on. And Isaac created this lineage that's so awesome we don't have time to go into tonight. But um, Ishmael was always a thorn in their side, right? Thanks for joining us for this podcast from Bethesda Worship Center sharing our midweek adult Bible study led by Pastor Pat Dale. Join us in person at Bethesda Worship Center in Richmond, Indiana. For more info, visit us on the web at BethesdaWorshipCenter.com.